0: Good evening. My name is Pat. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. With those who care to, please join me in the Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to, to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I want to uh, welcome you to the 23rd annual men's retreat. Uh, there's there's a lot of new faces out there, and um, this retreat is uh, rich in uh, history um, twenty three years ago a little over twenty three years ago um, I had a sponsor Ron Desseltel and uh, Ron was dying of esophagus cancer and we came up with the I, I, I called him actually and um, from the payphone at the rafters and uh, he he was dying, and once a once a week, this minister was coming over and and talking to him. So, I'm on the phone with him, and uh, he said uh, he asked me to write down 15 things I wanted to do before I die. And I said, I said, and he goes, and his wife Ramona came up with 27, and so uh, and that's kind of how this thing. Started and uh, he goes. There was only one thing on my list, Pat. And I go, "What's that?" He goes, "I want to give away everything that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me." And I didn't say it if it was convenient for him or anything. I went right over to his house to talk to him. And um, and this is that was how this retreat really started. Uh, s- somebody on this last leg of life uh, trying to give away everything that Alcoholics Anonymous had given him. And, uh, and we're in a room full of people that have uh, had amazing miracles in their life because of Alcoholics Anonymous. A um, couple things I want to get through uh, is, <sighs> first of all, um, I am so blessed to be up here. And I'm blessed that you guys all participate and come in here. It's amazing. 23 years of doing this, is, it's uh, mind-boggling. Um, one of the things that if you're new here, um, raise your hand if you're new here. A lot of people. Welcome. One of the things we do as men in Alcoholics Anonymous is that we learn responsibility. When we come to a, a facility, when we leave, it's nicer than when we got it. And so, what we do is pick up cigarette butts that aren't ours, or cigars that aren't ours, or paper. Um, this is the only area to my right uh, that we can smoke in. Everywhere, you know, and we're the only groups that they've been that they've allowed to smoke so we want to keep it keep coming back um if there's any problems if you guys can get a hold of me or uh ben or dan uh vasquez then uh, we'll take care of it with the with the staff and um also the shirts if if you haven't registered yet uh, they'll be available about ten minutes after the uh, end of the retreat or end of the meeting. And uh, I'm not sure why I'm so nervous. Um, because this is uh, something that I love, and uh, you guys have given me so much. Um, I just I I, I don't know. You, the first time uh, we had one of these. Afterwards, I, it was, I was overwhelmed by it, and uh, I was tearing up, and there was an old-timer called Dick Sandine, and he put it in perspective for me. He said that uh, it's pretty hard to, ex- to accept uh, thanks for something that you, you get so much from, and uh, we've planted seeds for Alcoholics Anonymous for 23 years, and uh, for that, I'm, I'm totally grateful. Thank you very much. And with that, I'd like to introduce Glenn.
1: Hi, everybody, Glenn Alcoholic. Can you hear me there? What's that? Uh, not so fast, Pat. Hey, did, did you know it's Pat's birthday today? 32 years sober. And they. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Pat.
0: No, 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 no. We're not. Really? Hey, this, is, this whole meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous is about ego deflation, not ego inflation. That's why we don't take cakes here. And that's why we haven't taken cakes here. And that's why we're, the, the real work, I mean, you'll hear some people talking in front of you, and, and it seems like, wow. But the real work is done behind the scenes, one-on-one. Those are the heroes. Those are my heroes that take the time to help out the people out. And uh, thank you so much.
1: Hi, everybody. Glenn, alcoholic. Yeah. I, I used a, a lighter, not a, a cake. <coughs> <laughs> grateful to be clean and sober. Um, you know, people have been pumping me up since I got here. Oh, man, really great to hear you. Um, it reminds me of uh, one of the first times I, I spoke. I, I went to this guy, I go, man, I really, I'm really nervous. I, mean, I don't want to suck. <clears throat> and he said, Glenn, it's an AA meeting. <laughs> There's no way you can mess up an AA meeting. However, you can disappoint a few people. <laughs> my sobriety date is may 1st 1989 uh means of coming up and ben we're coming up on 30 years without a drink and to look around the a lot of you guys i've watched you guys get sober the the topic or the one that i chose you know pat i know what happens when pat calls you and says hey we're having this retreat and we want you to come up with a theme i know what that means and there's one who has all power was the thing that immediately popped in my head and I thought about it for a while and I called my wife about a topic and then I decided to call my sponsor Craig and I I go hey Craig what are you doing he goes "Uh, we're here sitting with Pat waiting for you to call us back (laughs) so I got this topic he goes oh yeah that's a great topic there's one who has all power right and, and, and I want to recognize, there's a couple, a couple guys that have been here for a long time. John Bowman. Where, John, where are you, John? John, 50-plus years, right? And Don, 51-and-a-half Don, years. And all you guys that raised your hands being new, you shake their hand. You make sure you shake, because they got a lot of time. That's the good news. bad news is, Ain't got much time left, but <laughs> I haven't shared that in a long time because there was a bunch of guys that dropped like flies after I said that it wasn't funny anymore. <clears throat> but I think they'll be around for a, a bit for us. And uh, I knew them when I got sober. I went to meetings with both those guys. We've gone to meetings with Pat. You know, um, there's a lot of you guys I've, I've gotten sober with and then there's a lot of you guys I've got to watch right I got to watch the miracle whether you came in with me and relapsed and had to come back right it, I've always counted you as my brother whether it, whether it doesn't to me they put too much emphasis on time right because what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition and how I'm doing today you know, Phil would say, if you want to know how, you're, how, do you want, how God's will is, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing today, and you're putting one foot in front of the other, and you're staying out of the results, that is God's will for you today. It's about as simple as that gets, right? But, uh, you know, if I took a look at what, what God has done for me in my life, uh, all I got to do is look back. Right? If I want to know how, he's, how I'm really doing, all I've got to do is look all the way back. And how I got here. I came in at 26 years old. I didn't get sober till I was 28. It took me two years of learning what it took. The commitment. My relapsing, my, my slipping, I probably just didn't understand. I, I asked him, how come? How come I can't get sobriety? How come I can't stay sober? He said, son, you don't understand yet. You don't understand that you have a disease that's trying to kill you, man, and you don't understand the commitment it's going to take for you, right? Well, I finally got sober and I I started reading the Big Book three t- three times a day, right? And uh, they had me doing a bunch of stuff and uh, and that other pe- I didn't see other people doing, right? And I would tell them, I don't like I had a couple years sober, I was still I went to a lot of meetings I read the book a lot I wasn't very financially successful You know, in the two years I was still renting a place And I told him I said, look, Scotty bought a house Dion bought a house Where's my house? They're not even going to meetings like I am (laughs) He said, well, my young friend You screwed up your life a lot worse than they did (laughs) going to take you a little longer to get even before you get ahead. I said I really don't believe it's material first or spiritual first material second but just in case you're right I'll keep doing what you're doing. If I, if I looked back on that what happened for me was is when I learned the, these principles it helped, me, it helped me face life successfully it helped me get a, get a job and keep a job Right, And so I I didn't know that all the stuff that I was doing. I mean, I worked real hard in early sobriety, and there were a couple of times I wanted to drink really bad. I wanted to drink really bad at six months. And I realized that, and I didn't do it, that everything I did up until that point, all the meetings, all the reading, all the praying, was for that one moment when the dark rider came for me. And I was able to defend myself against the obsession of alcohol. And I was never able to defend myself before. That's what the book's about, right? It's to help me find a power that I don't possess. I'm an alcoholic. And when I tell you I'm an alcoholic, I, I, I'm telling you that I, I, I can no longer drink and live. And of myself, I can't quit drinking. Of myself, I can't stop. I don't possess the power to stop. And it's incredible with my alcoholism because I'll drink in spite of the consequences. In spite of knowing the consequences, I'll have to drink anyway. Right? Throw the dice. Right? So the alcoholic, when he comes in here, he's stuck in a trap. He can't spring. And that's what this book's about. So to help me find the power that I don't possess. And Phil would say, if you want some statistics, I'll give you one. The program works 100% of the time. 100% of the time. And I finally found it in that big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, if you lay aside prejudice. We go to this meeting on Sunday morning, the great reality. and, And at the end of that little reading, it says, if you can lay aside prejudice. And prejudice is holding on to an old idea regardless of the obvious facts. My prejudice towards God, my prejudice towards, right? If I can lay aside my old ideas, that will enable me to think honestly. Then it encourages me to search diligently within myself. And with this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of His presence will come to you. With this attitude, you cannot fail. That's 100% guarantee. You know, we were at a, a book study, and Frank said he, in the beginning of that book, it, it talked about having the proper attitude. You follow a few simple rules and have the proper attitude. And Frank wanted to know what the attitude was. What, what, which attitude do I need to have? Well, those are, right, those are punch words that you see through the book. And one guy said, Well, as ex drinkers, our very lives depend upon a constant thought of others and how we can meet their needs. It could be that attitude. Right? Could be an attitude of gratitude, but that—that's a punch word that you'll see all through the book. The word "simple," simple but not easy. This program's simple. Have a simple, right? It's simple. It ain't easy because it's destruction of self. Right? But you'll read that word "simple" all on the book. It'll give it to you. I'd like to. What I'd like to do is in the is put my glasses on because I can't see very well. And go to the part of the book where it actually talks about that topic, right? Which is on page fifty-nine. So here's what it says, right? And and there was a guy named Larry Z, and and he would say, look, to take any to take any. Sentence out of the big book, Alcox Anonymous. It's kind of good to know what it says before that sentence, and it's kind of good to know what it says after that sentence. So I'll share this with you for for what it's worth, right? We hear this at every single meeting, right? Uh, Well, every single meeting that they read how it works all the time. And you would think that's the most boring reading there is, but it's actually a fascinating page, right? Here's what it says. It says, rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. And they asked Bill, right, Chucky asked Bill, why, why, did, why, why did you put rarely in there, right? Rarely have we seen a person fail. And he said, well, if we had put never, there'd be a couple alcoholics and say, well, what, you've never seen a failure? Oh, by God, I'll show you one, right? And you see, we failed to get here. I failed in the business of living, I failed at drinking, I failed as a father, I failed as a son. I I was a failure when I got here. I failed in the business of living. And it says thoroughly followed our path. And Buckley would point out, well, there's no S on that. There's only one path, right? Now you can walk it slow, you can walk it fast, you can zigzag it. But you better make sure that you're on our path. And that what is the path? The path to recovery or the path to God? The book calls it, in the beginning of the book, it says it's the path to recovery. Right? Well, that's the path I'm on. The path to recovery. Those who do not recover are those who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Right? The cannots and the will-nots. And I think Buckley, what, I think what Bill was talking about, what Buckley would say, is the Wet brain and the smart ass. And if you're wondering if you're a wet brain, you're not. Wet brains can't wonder. (laughs) He said, Glenn, now you know which one you are. Right? Usually men and women who are constitutionally capable of being honest with themselves. And honesty, they, they throw this out there right away because honesty is super important. As a matter of fact, it's the first step in recovery. If you don't take the first step, none of the other steps matter. The first step in recovery is I've got to get honest about my drinking. I've got to admit to my innermost self I'm an alcoholic, it's the first step in recovery. I've got to get honest about that. Now, the other part of being honest, right, we don't have it yet. There are such unfortunates. They're not a fault. They seem to be born that way. They're naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Grasp and develop. Well, means you don't have it yet if you knew. Right? We're gonna grasp it. It's like having a piece of property and not having a house on it yet. You buy the lot, well you gotta grade it, you gotta put the footings in, you have to develop it. You gotta right, it's gonna teach me I've gotta be honest with one man. I gotta be truthful with at least you don't have to trust everybody here, but you have to trust one man. Right? You've got to start sharing honestly. you got to snitch on yourself. Right? And so we start practicing being honest. And it, t- it, takes a, it, it takes a while. Right? It says their chances are less than average. There are those, two, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but they do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we're like now. What I used to be like, right? Well, I'm, I live in a world I don't belong. When I was a little kid, I live in a world I don't belong and I had to find a way. When I found drinking, I found drugs, I found marijuana, I didn't know I was looking for something, but I knew I'd found something. This is it. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life, right? I like It worked so well for me, I quit getting in trouble as a young kid. It worked so well for me. I'm the youngest of five kids, the only one to graduate from high school. I fit in. I found a way to live. It worked for me. That's why I had a hell of a time quitting, because I couldn't understand something that had worked for me for so long was now kicking my ass. This reminds me of a story. <clears throat> my wife doesn't like me telling this story, but we have three dogs, right? And we've got Bruno... We got Diablo, and we got Dodger. Diablo's a little Mexican dog, if you didn't know it. <clears throat> anyway, Bruno had a snoring problem. And uh, my wife went to the, the vet to find out about his snoring problem. And uh, the vet took a look at Bruno and said, Look, when you go home tonight, I want you to get a blue ribbon and tie it around his privates. So Stacy comes home, and Bruno, we have this big, long couch, and Bruno sleeps on the one side of the couch. He started snoring. She got up. She got a blue ribbon tied around his privates. He quit snoring. I came in, was watching TV, fell asleep on the other side. I started snoring. She said, damn, if it weren't for Bruno. She looked around. She couldn't find a blue ribbon, but she found a red one and put it on me. And I woke up in the morning, I felt something, I looked down, I looked at me and I looked at Bruno, and I went, damn son, I don't know what we did last night, I don't know where we went, but we done good, we came in first and second. <laughs> now, now you all laughed. Right? And Buckley would say, Now you took a fist step. How many times that we didn't know, right? We woke up and didn't know where we was You know what I mean? And uh, I have no idea why I broke for that comic act. But anyway, so our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened to what we're like now. Right? What I was like without God in my life the torture I, I suffered from alcoholism, what I'm like today, what I'm like 30 years later in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you took me and you put me beside me compared to 30 years ago, you'd be looking at two totally different people in the way I think, in the way I act, the way I live. And no one knows that more but, the, but my kids and my wife. Right? No one knows, because the place we practice this is in our, is our own home, right? I asked my sponsor, you know, I talked to Pat. But some of the hardest guys to sponsor are, you know, guys will come to you at 10, 15 years sober. And I said, these guys don't stay long with me 10, 15 years, a couple of them. And Craig said, that's because you hold them accountable. You know, you talk to a guy, how are you treating your wife? Well, that's, that's not part of AA. Well, yeah, it is. This is AA. There's no division in my life. I act the same man at home, at work, and in here. There's no division. I act like one of God's kids, and I treat God's kids the same way in all those same places. Right? And it takes practice. It takes practice. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, and then you're ready to take certain steps. Right? Willing to go to any length to get it. When I read that, I, had, I told myself, Glenn, you've got to start trying your hardest. I've been slipping for two years. When I got to this page, I said I'm going to start. Willing to go to any lengths to me was reading the big book four times a day. It was sitting next to Phil Stone every single day. It was talking to Buckley every single day. It was, it was, right? I was trying, and Buckley said, when you argue with my first wife, Wendy, when you get an argument with Wendy, I want you to call me. I called him every day. <laughs> and when I talked to him, you know what was amazing about that? Every time I talked to Buckley, I was wrong. Every single time I talked, I was wrong. It was unbelievable, right? Six months, I was wrong. And finally, I read a a part, I was at a big book study, and they had the the 12 and 12, and there's the the 10th step. And in the 10th step, it says that we have to have a willingness to admit when the fault is ours. And then it says we have to have an equal willingness to forgive when the fault is elsewhere. I couldn't wait to show Buckley that line. said, Jim, look, I don't always have to be wrong. I just have to forgive her when she's wrong. He goes, that's right. Give her the right to be right. I said, no, no. No. (laughs) You mean give her the right to be wrong. He says, no, it may not be wrong with her. Give her the right to her own opinion. And see, that guy got me to see something a whole different way. That, right, there's no such thing as right and wrong. i got to change that. I have to say what you're doing is wrong for me. I don't know what it is for you. Right? There's, uh, drinking is wrong for me. I don't know what it is for someone that can still drink. Right? If you could do something and it doesn't bother you, it seems to be okay. If you, could, if you do something and it's bothering you, you better freaking quit it. It's going to kill you. Right? There's a monitor right here. I didn't put it there, and I can't dislodge it. But when I do good, I feel good. And when I don't do good, I have a sausage grinder that says, Oh, Glenn, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? All i got to do is listen to the monitor that's always been there. They call that rigorous self-honesty. Learning to listen to my own monitor, right? At some of these, we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we cannot. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Hanging on to my old ideas. Phil put it to me this way. He said, Glenn, all you've got to do is get rid of every thought and every idea you've ever had before you got here. My old ideas. There's only one place, right? You've heard let go, let God? This is the only place where it says what I gotta let go of. Right? Then the result was nil until we let go absolutely. I gotta let go of my ideas. Then I thought, let go, let God. Let God what? Well what would I let God do? Well I looked up the lets. We let bygones be bygones. We let God demonstrate through us what He can do. Let us think about the 24 hours ahead and before we begin we ask God to direct our thinking. Right? Let us be reassured. If there's something we're not un- we're unwilling to let go of, we pray for the willingness until it comes. If we're sorry for what we've done and we're willing to let God take us to better things, we believe we're forgiven. If we're not sorry and our conduct continues to hurt others, we'll surely drink. We alcoholics are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us in the simple way we've outlined. This goes along with a poem that goes like this. As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. And instead of letting them work alone, I hung around and tried to help in ways which were my own. Finally, he snatched them back and said, How can you be so slow? And he said to me, What could I do? You never did let go. And you have to let go and let God. Right? If you don't believe in the power of God, put an O in it. Believe in the power of good. And if you do good things, good things happen to you. Right? Remember that we deal with alcohol. Cunning, baffling, and powerful. Buckley would say, Glenn, what's your number one problem? I said, Wendy. No. <laughs> he pointed me and say, Alcohol. I ain't drink in a year. He said, son, never forget your number one problem. Take care of your number one problem, and all them other problems take care of themselves. But never forget what your number one problem is. Right? Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. You see, that gets us to the right. To There's one who has all power right we get to tap into the greatest power there is we get b- more powerful than the the strongest nuclear bomb and we learn how to, and, and the steps in this program give me a way to get god's help it gives me a way to tap into this power i don't possess right if i told you how like my what what's god's done for me right in the last 30 years it's unbelievable The way I think. There's so many things about myself when I first got here. So many problems I came in with that I could not change outside of drinking. Right? I got sober and I loved to gamble. I loved to chase girls. I loved to spend money. And I wasn't very considerate of other people. I, You know, I, my constant thoughts were of myself. The program teaches us to be of service. I got caught being serving myself, getting my house, my big job, my big check, right? And I found myself at 12 years at the bottom of the boat, right, at the bottom of the ship. Having to start over and what I had done in my sobriety because we're building a place. See, what happens is I'm building, I'm actually, you know, I'm building a place for God to live. I'm building a place for this spirit to live. And I have to remove the things so he can, so this thing can grow. Right? I have to remove the things that block me from the spirit. I have five fundamental things that are wrong with me. Right? I have a. Honesty problem. I have a mind that lies to me. Well, Glenn, you don't need to go to meetings. You don't need to stop drinking. You don't need to call your sponsor. You don't need to do that. A uh, book calls it twisted thinking. But I got a mind that lies to me, and I have a second problem. I'm selfish. It's not that I think of too much of myself. It's not that I think of too little of myself. I constantly think of myself and what's in it for me, right? I mean, enough about me. Let's, let's not talk about me no more. Hey, what, hey man, what do you think of me? Hey? <laughs> I would drive to the meetings, and in my day, back in, right, 30 years ago, they, they took hands. That's the way you called on them. You got, so I freaking loved to share. I would drive to the meeting and start thinking about what I was I wanted to say. I would wait 10 minutes because you don't want to be the first one to share. <clears throat> and then I would raise my hand, and I would share everything. That I wanted to say, and then I'd spend the rest of the hour thinking about what it was I had said. <laughs> <laughs> and if you were sitting next to me, I'd say, "Hey, man, I, did I sound stupid? Man, how'd that sound? Did I sound good, right?" All about thinking about myself. And um, Buckley said, "Son, you got to work on your percentages, right? You got to gratitude and being self pity. You got to work on your percentages." Right? You don't have to clear this stuff. It's spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. But just because you're never going to be perfect doesn't mean you should not have tried to be. Right? And I got another problem. I got resentments. I got resentments right here. And if you're new, some of them are deep-seated, which means they've been there for a long time. Right, my biggest hates when I got sober besides myself, because I hated myself when I got here. I couldn't stand myself. I hated the man I would become. I hated what I turned into. I hated what I'd done. Right? I hated my parents. I hated them. Didn't even know it. I was sober 60, 90 days. I didn't know it. I had hate. I loved them, but I had hate for them. I remember going to Phil, dying, crying. And I said, if it hurts this much, I'd rather drink. And that old man shed a tear in his eye for me. And he said, son, that's where the disease is going to get you. Your alcoholism wants you to feel so bad about yourself, you'd rather pick up a drink. He said, son, you've got to talk about it. You've got to get that stuff out of your gut. If you don't get it out of your gut, it'll rot inside you and it'll kill you, man. And I had to freaking talk about it. I had to become willing to tell you when I got here what I'd done that I'd lost my job, and I crashed my truck, and I sold all the furniture, and I accidentally smoked an ounce of those Mexicans' Coke, and they wanted to kill me, you know. I didn't want anybody to know like it was some kind of secret or something. You know what I mean? If you're slipping, we know, and you're coming back, right? If you go out and you take the, the coffee pot, and you're gone for a couple months, and you come back, we know! We know where you've been, right? Keep the coffee pot. Just come back, right? But we know. You know, so it's not really, and and it's funny was, when I became willing to tell you what happened to me, when I became willing to tell you where I was at, it became okay. Not with you, but it became okay with me. And I am sure glad those guys gave me a plan. They outlined the program of action for me. They didn't take me around to a bunch of meetings. Phil Stone and Jim, they went to the same meetings. If you want to talk to me, I'm at this meeting. I come 15 minutes early. You can sit. And I sat next to those guys. A lot of things I say that Phil said, well, Phil said, you weren't even talking to me. You were talking to somebody else. I pretended like he was talking to me. Right? Well, you grasp sitting by them, I grasped that information. Right? And they outlined the program of action for me. And Phil was, a big, he was big on reading this big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. He would say, Glenn, if you have a problem, don't call me unless you've gone to the book first. Every answer that you're going to need is in that book. He says, the problem with you, my young friend, is you don't like the answer. Right? You don't like the answer. What I found in sobriety, when I don't like something the seemingly bad, could just be the hand of God. When something's taken out of my life or something like that, I think it's bad, I have found that God was just putting me in the direction I'm supposed to go. I'm usually the one that blocks me from the direction I'm supposed to go. You know what I mean? I'm the one that blocks it, right? The only one that beats me is me, right? The only limitations I have are the ones I put upon myself. And Phil was the one that said, if you don't believe in the power of God, put an O in it and believe in the power of good. Here's more in the, that the, the, this is a program of action. You don't have to believe in anything if you're new. Do these things and something will happen. Come to these meetings. Take these steps. You'll come to see. You'll come to see by watching the miracles in Alcoholics Anonymous. Right? I believe in miracles. I look at one. Every morning, when I look in the mirror, I look at how could it be? How could my life look like this? How could it be like this? How could I feel this free? What's the guarantee here, right? The guarantee is that I'm going to be sober and i can I can be a decent human being and live a good life and be good to my wife and be good to my kids right. I could become the man that I always wanted to be that I never knew I could be. Buckley would say this. He goes, I'm not true to my wife. I'm true to myself. It took me 15 years to understand what that meant. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on me. Right? And I think God's groomed me in such a way because you can't really help people and sponsor men or sponsored married men if you're not that guy. Right? Right? If you're if you're being a hypocrite, at least I can't. You know, I have to learn to be that guy. You know, um, my mornings, my my days in, uh, are pretty simple for me. I wake up, I go to my little computer, I read I read AA stuff, I thank God for my day. I go down, I make coffee for my wife, every, almost every morning, right? And then Buckley would talk about doing that. He'd get up, he'd take the dogs out. You know what? We have dogs. I take the dogs out now. Get up, I take the dogs out and make the coffee. I wake Stacy up. Here's your coffee. Buckley would say, Here, your, your coffee's lit, or your cigarette's lit, your coffee's hot, and your seat's warm. He'd, right? He goes, I don't know what that would do for her, but could you imagine what that does for a selfish, self centered person like me? And we learn to be other centered, we learn to be selfless. You know, and we we learn to be an example to other people. And you, one day you wake up, and, and you know, and you learn that you want to you want to give back, like Pat said. What I do I want to do, everything that's been given to me, there's just no way I can repay. So I want to come to these meetings, and I want to give it to you. I want to give it to you, right? And they got this God as we understand Him. In, in this in this in the program. And I think as as you understand them, it's a progressive thing because the if I think different at thirty years than I did at one year. I thought different at five years than I did at one year. I thought different at ten years than I did at five. So whatever I'm saying tonight just disregard it because I'm gonna think different. In ten years. Right? Because we're constantly changing. We're constantly changing. Right? What's changed in me is the the view of the world has changed for me. Right? I didn't come here to find God. I came here to find a way to live one day at a time. Without picking up I didn't come here to get my wife back or have a home or a job or nothing like that. I was dying. I came here to find a way to live one day at a time without picking up a drink. And if I never got nothing more than that, it was okay with me. It was okay with me. Right? And what has happened to me since then is miraculous. It's absolut- absolutely miraculous. You know, we're we're remodeling a house right now. And uh no, I won't tell you that story. Okay, I will. We uh We're remodeling a house, but I never remodeled a house living in it. And so, for some reason, my wife didn't want to leave the dog. So we remodeled it in a house while we tried to live in it. Oh my God, what a freaking mess, huh? It was rougher than me. I'm 58. We're breathing all that dust and all that. My wife really got a lot of pleasure out of watching me suffer. I can tell you. She goes, "I'm really glad that you're not liking this, <clears throat> right?" But I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't do it again. You yeah. know live in the house while we're while we're trying to remodel it. And uh you know, it's just amazing that I I can't express to you the freedom that I have. Right? The freedom that I have as a human being, as a man that I can look you in the eye, that I ain't lying, that I ain't stealing, that I ain't cheating, that I can look my wife in the eye, the same thing I can look my kids in the eyes, you know what I mean? That there's, that, that, I'm, that I'm free. I came in here in shackles and chains. There was chains on me, and I was chained up. I had all the curses of a liar. It's not that I didn't no one believed me, as I believed no one. Curse of a thief. It's not that no one trusted me, as I trusted no one. And you guys in this program has knocked those shackles off of me. You know. And my faith. And my belief in this power has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger that like i talk a lot about this power but i didn't talk about 10 years ago right the longer i stay sober the more that talking about the power becomes more what i talk about i don't even know why but it's just it's happening that way i see older guys talking a lot about god and, and and I, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. There's a God, right? When I was new, because I would talk about everything else. But this must be become the most important thing in my life, right? The most important thing is my relationship with God. The most important person in my life is my wife, and my children, right? And and I become important too, you know. There's Phil Stone would give this little this line. It was it's freaking beautiful. And Craig challenged me on it one time, and Phil would say this, if you're new, some people will tell you that you're the most important person here. I will not. I am the most important person here to me. Now let me tell you why. Because when I got here, my life had no value. When I got here, I didn't care. I didn't care about my life, not that much. I didn't care if I died. It hurt so much to live. Dying didn't bother me. Dying does not bother a real alcoholic. So my life had no value. And I hated myself. I hated my guts. I couldn't look in the mirror. They made me look in the mirror when I was new and say to myself, every day and every way, you're getting better and better. And then they say, Glenn, I want you to to think about it. I'm doing better than I was 30 days ago. I'm doing better than I was 90 days ago because sometimes I woke up and I did not feel better I suffered from excessive negative thinking and I had emotional hangovers and he said Glenn there's two things you gotta gotta change right, from being negative to positive and self-centered to other-centered once you remove the drugs and the alcohol the alcoholic's basic problem is centered in his mind right and I have to change I gotta change I still have to change. I need to get away from all the things I've been getting away with. And I cannot do that alone. I have to have God's help. And I need you people. I have to have Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous does not need Glenn, but Glenn needs Alcoholics Anonymous. And we can do what I cannot. Today my life has great value, and today I want to live. Right? Right? And we give God most of the credit. I don't give God, you know, Phil would say, you don't give God all the credit. The book says we give Him most of the credit. Because you're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to make the decision to read that book. You're going to have to make a decision to take those steps. You're going to have to be honest when you don't want to be honest. There's going to be forks in your life when you get a, when you get a choice in business, at home, and you can do... The right thing, or you can do the old thing. And anyone who's been sober for a while they know exactly what I'm talking about and those those forks are life-changing, right they're life-changing I give you I'll give you one uh, uh, 2009 when everything was was going bad, I was broke couldn't pay the rent. And uh, I was selling flags on the internet. I don't know why I was in I'm a general contractor, but I was selling flags on the internet, right? And this company I was working for, they had a manager named Bill who would tell me on accounts of payable every week when they shipped, I paid. Well, after six months, the owner of the company called me and said, hey, you're $15,000 in the hole. I said, there's no way. I said, call Bill. I pay when they ship. So anyway, they looked it up. And I hadn't paid those invoices. I didn't freaking check the invoices. I was trusting Bill. So they gave me a payment plan. I started making payments and I kept paying when Bill said to pay. I got a call in December and they said, hey, we just want to let you know you're $35,000 in the hole. I said, there's no way. Talk to Bill. Right? We looked it up and I owed these people $35,000. And I, I felt defeated. Because I really didn't do it on purpose, but my part in it was I should have kept account of my own freaking record. I shouldn't have trusted nobody else but myself. It that was, that was, that was my fault. He said, Do you have anything tangible? Not broke. But I got this boat. Two years old, it's worth between twenty-five and 30,000. It was like my little safe haven, so to speak. Like things go bad, I go, I sell the boat. He goes, Do you have anything tangible you could sell? I said, I don't know. I got to talk to Stacy. I don't think so. I told him, I don't think so. That's what I said. <laughs> I talked to my wife. I said, I owe him $30,000. I said, I have my boat, but I ain't got nothing else. She said, Glenn, I don't know what you're going to do, but I want you to do what's right. The next day, Chuck came and picked up that boat. Right? What I built from that day was I built some integrity. I never had it before, not like that. I know my integrity is at least worth (laughs) $35,000. Right? And I became free. I was always worried about, like, once you lose something, like, I didn't have to worry about losing the boat no more. It's already gone. (laughs) Right? The fear of losing the boat was gone. But there was a problem there. And the problem wasn't the boat. The problem was my great mismanagement of money because I made hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I lived like a freaking king and a peasant at the same time. I spent all the money. I mismanaged all the money. I gambled all the money. I voted all the money. Lots of money, right? And I told, I told myself, if I don't fix this problem, I'm going to be broke again at 55 instead of 45. And I had to change the way that I handled my money. And I've had money ever since, right? I've had money ever since, and I put myself. I still drive around a little crummy truck because I didn't, I didn't need. I don't need a new truck. I think I'd like one now, but I don't need it. Need, but I, right? I don't need a new truck. And uh, I put my family first. But it's lessons like that. That thirty-five thousand dollars. And that building that integrity, I think God was grooming me to be a certain person. So when a guy calls me up and says, "Hey, this guy ripped me off a thousand dollars," I tell him, "My thirty-five dollars whoa, wait a minute, a thousand bucks ain't nothing. Let me tell you about how I lost thirty-five thousand dollars. Right? It's all—it's all perspective, honestly. Right? And uh, you know that is like that is like just one one of many things in my area of my life that I've had to change that I've always wanted to change but didn't know how the f was a fork in the road for me right one of many i'll close with this this is a buckley line it says i came into alcoholics anonymous a big old dirty rock <laughs> and you guys the men and the women are 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 god's hammers and chisels god's the master sculpture And ever since I've been here, you guys chip off everything that doesn't look like Glenn. And I come here and I go to meetings and I practice these steps and you chip off everything that doesn't look like Glenn. Right? And I come to meetings and I practice these steps, right? I get in pain, I change, and you chip off everything that doesn't look like Glenn. And after 30 years, this is what I look like so far. And for that, I want to thank you for asking me to... treat Master... Right, I want to thank you guys for allowing me to give me in love to you. If you don't know right, what we give you if you knew, what we give you is love. We love you. That's what they gave me. They loved me. They loved me. They loved me when no one else wanted me around. They shed love on me. they shed enough love on me till I became aware of fact that God is love. that God is love. And he who abideth in love abideth in God, and God abideth in him. And for that, I love every single one of you. And thanks for letting me share.